0: Welcome, all you good movie buddies, to another mini-episode series from The Popcorn Diet that we're calling our Review Recap. This is our second Review Recap with your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. I'm flying solo today, as with the seasons and the, the times right now, life is busy for your good movie buddies over at The Popcorn Diet. And so I'm taking this opportunity to release another one of our review recap mini episodes. Now, the whole purpose of doing a re- review recap, um, they're going to pop up from time to time. And this is what I said in the first one. You know, when we see numerous movies that, you know, we might not get a chance to review altogether, we might not be able to put together a whole full-blown episode, or if one of us isn't available, if we're not able to do something, you know, it's kind of a perfect storm of of an equation that gets us to a review recap Uh, and fortunately we have we have some good ones this one essentially we're wrapping up the first quarter of the movie season you know we're coming out of the oscar hangover at the beginning of march and david and i we kind of swore off prestige pictures for a while we'd had enough of them and uh and we've been sort of paying attention and picking up some of the spring movies it's actually been what i think to be a pretty good spring in terms of just films in general but we're getting into some of these big spring films and summer is about to kick off less than 2 weeks away from the Avengers on April 27th and then once we get into May we have Deadpool 2 we have Solo a Star Wars story we got all kinds of stuff that's going to happen for the summer now one of the one of the biggest things that I always try and impart is that sometimes you know we have outside lives that just get in the way so david's been doing a lot of travel lately he's had a lot of other extracurricular activities the same is true for us so just to kind of give you a little update on how things are going number one if you haven't checked it out already check out our free refill series going over the marvel cinematic universe uh it's you it's part of the normal feed if you've already subscribed to us then you should be getting it but you can also find it on popcorndietpodcast.com And we have recapped almost the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. We only have three left until we get to Infinity War next week, and we're going to crank those out this weekend. Um, But speaking of this weekend, David and I, we're going to be on the road. So we're going to be broadcasting, not really broadcasting, but we're going to be recording from Austin, Texas uh, during our... Real jobs team building event. So that should be a lot of fun. That should be really interesting. We're going to crank out the rest of the Marvel episodes. And then next week, it's going to be Marvel week, baby. We We are so pumped for Infinity War. We got tickets for opening night. And we are going to wrap up our coverage so look for another free refills episode uh not only this week but we're going to have a couple of bonus free refills episodes next week and then we're going to have an infinity war hype episode talking about predictions and just how excited we are and recapping our recaps and then after Infinity War comes out, as always, we're going to have our reaction episode. That's going to be probably pretty long and full of spoilers. But with all of that being said, the reason that that I'm doing this review recap episode today is because the top two movies in the U.S. box office this week were monster movies. Now we've already done a couple of episodes on monster movies before, dealing with obviously you know we talked about The Shape of Water, monster movie. We talked about The Mummy. Tom Cruise monster movie and in this case we have two true blue full-blown monster movies that are number one and number two at the box office and they couldn't be more different first we got Rampage with The Rock and then we have A Quiet Place from John Krasinski And, and as I said both films it could definitely be categorized as monster films they're worlds apart. And and I really, really loved them both for different reasons. I loved one because it was smart. I loved one because it was dumb. Uh, and so that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. We're kind of break these down a little bit. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, um, but I wanted to start with A Quiet Place. Let's start with the smart side of things. Now, A Quiet Place has been out for a couple of weeks now, and it's been marketed as a A horror film. It's the film, if you haven't seen the trailer, you should check it out. It's the film with John Krasinski and Emily Blunt, where they live in, uh, you know, a point in the near future, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic future, where monsters who hunt with hypersensitive hearing, they've essentially decimated humanity. And it's, it, it happened really fast. They showed up. They wiped everybody out who was too loud. Nothing could stop them. Not weapons, not guns, not bombs, nothing. And so it's a really, really effective trailer, number one. And number two, it's a really, really effective movie. I wouldn't actually consider it a horror movie, though. Now, I'm really splitting hairs when it comes to genres and things like that because Horror movies can be monster movies, and they can be thrillers, and they can be sci-fis, and and you can mix up all of these genres and include horror with it, and by that measure, then sure, A Quiet Place is a horror movie, but the best way that I've learned to describe A Quiet Place is it's like the scene in Jurassic Park when the raptors are stalking the kids in the kitchen, but for like 80% 80% of the movie, like like a whole bunch of the movie is that same tension of you gotta be quiet, you can't make a sound, they're looking for you and if you make a sound, you die. And it's super, super effective. It's an original film concept, which is fantastic. Uh, Support original film, uh, support original genre films because they're fantastic. But it was dreamed up by writers Brian Woods and Scott Beck along with John Krasinski. And it's his directorial uh, debut, I believe. And uh, what's really cool about this is it is it's very, it's a very smart film, but it's also a very real film as well. So for example, you know, most of the cities and towns, well, they've been decimated. They've been left abandoned, but you see in the film that some families in rural America, in, in the forests, in the farmlands, they've survived by mostly living in silence. And, and you see some really effective ways That Krasinski and and the family, which include Emily Blunt and his two children, how they strive to be more quiet. They use uh, a lighting system to inform each other if something good or bad is happening. They have sand. They literally, part of their normal chores, are taking bags of sand that they've discovered and using that to build a trail everywhere they go, even leading all the way back into town. To get supplies, so that where they walk, they can walk barefoot and they can walk quietly as well. And it's a it's a great, great gimmick. Um, it it really is a it's a conceptual type film that hinges on a specific concept. There are monsters. They've they've ruled the world. They've killed everyone, and the only way you can survive is by not making a sound. And they just use that, again, in really effective ways, the way that any type of sound can be deadly. You know, they establish that right away, that any type of loud sound can potentially be deadly. And and they really milk it for all it's worth. And what's great is that it's a smart script. It's a simple script. So it's not only is it really intelligent, but it's also very contained. It's a story about one family. Doesn't have to do with saving the world. It doesn't have to do with saving a city or a group of people. It just has to do about what you would do with you know to survive and to keep your family alive. How far would you go? What what would you do in order to ensure that you guys can live a relatively normal life? And the cast is small. It's it's really small. There's only a few people in the cast, but it's excellent. Obviously, Krasinski's in the film. And that guy has shown that not only can he obviously do comedy really well, but he can do action and drama really well. And he's a fucking great director, too, because this movie is so taut. It's so tense and so suspenseful. But on top of that, you have Emily Blunt, who I think has the more difficult role here of his pregnant wife. And that's a key thing to remember that she is pregnant and very close to giving birth in this world where noise is death. Like, that's insane. How do you deal with that, right? Um, And then you also have the kids played by Noah Jupe and uh, and Millicent Simmons. And what's really cool about Millicent, who plays the older daughter, is that she's an actual deaf actress who they brought on to play the daughter. And, And a majority of the film is played off with, through sign language and things like that. But it really brings an authenticity to the role. I have to imagine it's much easier to act out being hard of hearing when you're actually hard of hearing and then everything else, you know, if you're somebody like you or, or, or or me who can hear with relative ease, my mother might disagree, but if it's somebody like you or me, we're guessing about what it might be like to hear and to sign and to grow up that way and live that way. And so the cast is just fantastic the way they do it. Um, I really, really like the way that they showed how you have to continue on with mundane activities. like, cleaning and getting ready for a baby. How do you do that? Um, and I'm not going to spoil anything in this, in this review recap here, um, but it's it's really, really effective. One of the most effective things that, that I show, and it was just a small scene, but it was a scene where they're doing math, where uh, Emily Blunt's character is doing math with her kid and teaching them that. And it just it really boiled down something like it was just, it made me think about mathematics in a completely different way. You know, as you're teaching a kid how to do mathematics, you know, only part of it is teaching them mathematics. The other part is you're essentially programming their brain to understand more and more complex equations, problem solving skills, and of course math in general. And for whatever reason, I don't know why that scene stuck out to me, but it really did. Um, I will get a a couple of very, very light spoilers, Um, and that is when I first saw the trailer, I was really worried that there wasn't going to be monsters. I was really worried that it was going to be some type of bullshit twist like in uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Village where the monsters aren't real and man is the real monster and Krasinski turns out to be a psycho who's holding his family hostage that's not true. There are fucking monsters in this film and they're great. You see them a ton. They don't, I mean, they do hide them, but they play it for maximum effect and they're not afraid to show you the monster in close-ups and show you the monster's biology and how their hunting works and I really, really like that. And another thing that was really cool is that the film itself and the gimmick of the film itself kind of plays with the audience on a subconscious level as well in that You know, it asks you to be silent as well, aside from a few music cues or loud noises. And then as the film picks up, it gets more and more intense and more and more loud. But you are required as an audience member to be silent. So I couldn't chomp my popcorn like I normally do. I couldn't make my sniffles or clear my throat or cough or anything like that because it felt like everything was heightened. Um, And it also made me hyper aware of other noises as well. So, there, for example, when, when I saw the film, there was one lady who would vocalize every realization that the film played out, like, oh, they can hear, or oh, there's this. And you, like, lady, this movie is very quiet. We can hear you. Um, but I really, really liked how it played subconsciously with the audience as well. Uh, and again, it, it couldn't be more effective. Essentially, the final... Oh, man, the final half to the third of the film is just an extended tension sequence that just ratchets up the tension more and more and more and more. And yes, it has to do with with uh, giving birth in this situation or being separated and not being able to call out to one another. That kind of shit was really, really unnerving and really effective. So, like, it, it, the sequences were amazing. Like, what are you going to do if you have to give birth in this world? You know, or, or even using other sounds to your advantage, using other natural sounds to mask your own. Um, and I can't say enough about the monsters. I thought the monster design was great. Um, I thought the monster, there, there are, and again, I don't want to go into any spoilers, but there are a couple of sequences that just match tension and that's the big word I want you to remember here that I don't consider this film a scary film I, I don't really get scared in horror films if you're somebody who gets scared in horror films then this might not be one for you but if you're somebody who, who likes roller coasters or who again I refer back to the kitchen sequence in the original Jurassic Park if you like that stuff if that stuff really butters your toast then you're gonna love A Quiet Place because the it's almost a whole movie of that kind of feeling. Um, imagine if that kitchen were the whole world and the raptors could show up at any time if you make a sound or a, a snap of your fingers or something like that. So, again, really, really well-received both critically and by audiences. It got 95% on Rotten Tomatoes and it got a B plus cinema score. And for those of you who don't know, we've talked about cinema score in the past, but that's the audience rating. That's an accurate audience rating. It's not some Rotten Tomatoes audience rating where people can go in and just vote whatever they want cinema score is very calibrated it's very specific it's about as clinical as you can get when judging how an audience is reacting to a film and b plus not too shabby at all for a quiet place let's transition that shall we (laughs) to rampage starring Dwayne the rock johnson all of those things i said about uh a Quiet Place being really smart and well-written and simplistic, Rampage is not. Rampage is dumb as fuck, all right? And and it's loud and big and noisy and stupid, but it knows it and embraces it and, and it just wants to party with you. It just wants to have fun. And it is fun as hell. Number one, I firmly believe, for those of you who know me personally, and for those of you who may have heard us talk about The Rock on here uh, in the past, I firmly believe in The Rock and his ability to make anything great. Take any movie project, take any remake, any adaptation, and tell me it's starring The Rock, and tell me you're not interested in that film or that adaptation. Jungle Cruise with The Rock, i'm in oh they're remaking the Addams family and the rock is gonna be in it i'm in oh they're they're redoing over the top and the rock is in it are you kidding me of course i'm in anything that the rock does i'm gonna pay attention to uh he's just on a, on a streak right now of making really good crowd-pleasing movies and rampage is no different as dumb as it is um it is so much fun, and it's an adaptation of the 1980s video game of the same name where you play monsters smashing up a city. That is literally the goal of the video game. You you pick a, a wolf, a gorilla, or a giant lizard, and you wreck the city. You get as much points as possible, and you try not to die. And I think the thing that is... It is what's really fun about Rampage is that it knows it's a big, dumb action movie and it embraces it. It literally couldn't be more opposite than The Quiet Place. You literally could just call this like a really, really loud place. And that would be a a pretty accurate title uh, to give Rampage. I mean, without going into specifics. And again, we're going to keep this spoiler free this time. It's just really fun and it, and it knows it. Um, I kind of think of the two as a dinner party. Um, one is a dinner party that is sophisticated, it's well-cooked meals, it's, it's carefully selected wine, and it's a great, good filling dinner party. And the other is a rager with a keg and flip cup and shots and a taco bar. Both of them are awesome. Both of them are fun, but they're really, really good and effective and memorable in different ways. You can walk out of both of those experiences having had a good time. And I think that that was one of my biggest points in in my review in Rampage. And you can read my review of Rampage on our website, PopcornDietPodcast.com, but What I've seen a lot lately in the film community is it feels like, and again, I'm speaking in generalizations here, so it's not everybody, but it feels like when it comes to quote-unquote online film, Twitter, or whatever, there's really only certain films that apparently are worth anybody's time or worth being made at all. And you know, you got your prestige pictures, like you got your King Speeches, or or even The Shape of Water. And then here's your indie darling character studies like Lady Bird or Moonlight. You got your your prestige animated films that come from Pixar or, or Leica or Studio Ghibli. And then you have your high quality studio mega blockbusters and i'm talking about the films that cost 250 million dollars to make and they make a billion dollars worldwide your marvel films your star wars films even the dark Knight trilogy those are your those are go beyond blockbusters those are your mega blockbusters those are your world events now right and rampage isn't on any of those levels um now you know the argument could be made for genre films and prestige genre films and things like that but both of these are genre films and i think that both of them have a place in film you know i and i and i think that that's one of the biggest things that i want to impart upon people with rampage is that it's like objectively not a great film you know the script is a little dumb a lot of the characters are really thin the science is bullshit the villains are super cartoony they're like rocky and bullwinkle villains but it's still a good time it's still a really good time one of the things that i really enjoyed about it is the way that the different action set pieces are mixed up uh they're 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 really varied in what they are it's not all animal destruction or animal fights there's one sequence that is is actually really intense and it has mercenaries being stalked by a giant wolf in the forest There's another has a big plane crash featuring an angry gorilla. And then, of course, you've seen in the trailers, there's the citywide destruction. And they all really, I think, do really well at escalating the situation. And I think that's something the director, Brad Payton, does really well, is not only does he frame action scenes really well and shoot them really well and give you clear, not only geography, you know, letting you know where everybody is and where everything is, but also just wide pulled back shots of the action so that you can get looks at the monsters you can get looks at that big hero shot of george the gorilla you know pounding his chest in front of a gigantic fucking fireball and that's something that's valuable as a as a sort of a mid-budgeted you know blockbuster director and it's funny calling a hundred million dollar movie mid-budgeted but really that's the range now it feels like anything that costs anywhere between like 60 to 120 million that's your mid-budget and then as you get bigger you get into your 150 200 million gigantic movies you're required to perform. And I think that there is a place in this world for a stupid monster action bonanza that costs $110 million to make that's released in the middle of April to make, you know, a handful of money, whether it be domestic or whether it be foreign. I think there's a place in the world for movies like this because a kid is going to watch this movie. And they're going to have their eyes open. And when I say a kid, I'm not talking like a five-year-old, but I would take an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old to this movie. And they're going to see this movie and they're going to have their eyes open to it. They're going to, wow, monsters, that's really cool. Movies can be really cool. And it's their gateway into film. I mean, that's how I was with Jurassic Park. Now, make no mistake, Jurassic Park is an amazing film, legitimately amazing film. Not just subjectively, like objectively that movie's great, but it does have a few giant flaws. But when you see those brachiosaurus, you know, walking over the hill, eating the trees, that entire T-Rex sequence, the velociraptor sequence that I mentioned before, that those types of movies make young movie fans. You're not going to get an eight-year-old to like movies by making them watch fucking Gandhi. It's not going to happen maybe you will and it's so great then you probably have a film savant on your hands. But kids need to start somewhere. they start with cartoons, they start with lowest common denominator type stuff and then they graduate up more and more and more. and that's one of the reasons why I didn't mind that the science was bullshit or I didn't mind that the the villains were cartoony because this film paints in broad strokes. okay? It is very, very simple. Good guys, bad guys. Stupid military guys and monsters, and that's all it is. That's your broad strokes. Uh, and I really, really didn't mind it. I laughed a lot in this film. You know, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, again, as I said, I genuinely feel he can do no wrong. I mean, even you look at his some of his earlier movies as he was just trying to feel around who he was as a performer, he's the best part of what he's in. And this feels like it's just another crowd pleaser. This feels like a movie that he made because he wanted to have fun. And it looks like he's having fun in this film. And I've read a lot of reviews to say that they didn't have any fun with this film. And that's fine. I mean, it's again, film is subjective. But I had a blast with this film. And one of the things that I think was the most surprising about Rampage is the relationship that The Rock's character, Davis Sequoia, who's a primatologist, has with George the gorilla. I think that that relationship is surprisingly effective because it's essentially about The Rock trying to save his friend, who happens to be an albino gorilla from this genetic fuckery that has messed with his his genomes. George is a normal albino gorilla that comes across science gone wrong as it tends to do in this film. And he's really a victim of circumstances, a victim of somebody else playing God. And so The Rock's main goal is to, yeah, you know, we want to save people and we want to save the city. But his main goal is to do it and get his friend back. And I think it's really just well done and effective in terms of, of a performance between not only The Rock, but also Jason Lyles, who's a performance capture artist who plays George via motion capture. And and what's cool about that is it makes George an honest to God character. George has facial expressions that are are easy to read and he goes from anger to sadness to fear to happiness to to laughing, you know? And and it's really effective. And the way that he and the rock communicate via sign language and the rock talks to George like he genuinely cares, it's really, really effective. And I was surprised by that. Of all the stuff in Rampage, I was surprised that they really, really nailed the relationship between a man and his monkey. And I think a huge credit of that has to go to Jason Lyles and the performance capture. And, and, And again, a big part of that is also because The Rock is just so easygoing. I mean, you know, the, even though George can't talk, George is still a gorilla, he can't talk. You know, he makes funny gestures, he flips the bird, he makes, you know... um he makes jokes and things like that, or he plays pranks, and the way the rock reacts to those pranks is genuinely funny. And the rock just is a charisma machine. So you could put that guy against a fucking tennis ball or a watermelon or or, or or anything and get a great charismatic performance out of him. Again, the rest of the cast, eh, they do okay, you know. There's, you know, Naomi Harris plays the the female. Uh, scientist sidekick Maline Ackerman they play you know they uh, she's the villain she's like the main corporate scientist villain and then you have you know you have other people you have uh, Joe Manganiello who I'm pretty sure I'm butchering his name but he's essentially an extended cameo uh, Marley Shelton's in this film at what is essentially an extended cameo as well and that's fine because I feel like they got it I feel like they were like, "Yeah, this is fun. This is a fun sequence to be a part of, and I want to just have a little fun," and so they're here. But I'll tell you what, though, I, you know, as good as The Rock is, and as good as George the Gorilla is, the MVP of this movie is Jeffrey Dean Morgan because that dude is having a fucking blast in this film. He plays a a, a secret government agent. Um, called Harvey Russell, and I really like the line. I'd never heard this before, and I'm sure it's been used before. But he plays an a. He, they ask him what agency he's from, and he says, "Oh, oh, oh, I'm not FBI. I'm OGA, uh, and OGA stands for Other Government Agency." And I just, I, I didn't, I've never heard that acronym before, and maybe, I'm sure it's been said in in a ton of films before, but it's the first time I heard it, and I thought it was a really effective way, of kind of, you know displaying that hey this guy he's a government guy but he he plays by his own rules you know and it's a big stereotype it's the government man by that planes plays by his own rules and he butts heads with the rock but eventually they kind of come to a a weird you know antagonistic understanding with one another and again He's just having a blast. He's walking around with his southern drawl like, oh, you didn't hear about the 40-foot wolf? And he's got a black suit on with a big Texas belt buckle and a big pistol with a pearl handle grip on it. And he's just like this cowboy. He's He's got this cowboy drawl. He's got this cowboy way about him like he's a mercenary. Um, even though he's not, he's a G man, and I just I loved his character. I love the stuff that they did with his character. He he looked to be having a blast. He, I he could he could get his own spinoff for all I care. Now maybe too much of a good thing is is too much, but. Jeffrey Dean Morgan again, MVP of this film. The guy is just he can play that laid back, casual, eh, I don't give a shit, I'm the boss, I'm the I'm the big man on campus. And then he can get really, really intense too. And that's I think what makes Jeffrey Dean Morgan such a good actor in general. That's what makes him so good as Negan on The Walking Dead is that he can switch from that good old boy charm and genuinely kind of you know, lure you in with, oh, I'm just a cool dude. And then he can get scary real quick. And he doesn't reach Negan levels in this film, but he's pretty fucking fun in this movie. And it's got a lot of great laughs in it. It's got a lot of really good monster action in it. And so so that kind of leads me to to the final question, which I, I kind of ranted about in the middle here. But, you know, if a movie is, is dumb, if it's a big, dumb action movie, but it has the self-awareness to just want to have fun then shouldn't we do the same you know and and again film is subjective if you're not into that kind of thing that is totally fine that is 100% totally fine but you know when you have different websites who you know cater to a specific film genre you know you have your your indie wires which it's called indie wire I'll give you five guesses as to what their favorite types of movies are. This is not a movie for that crowd, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, this is a movie for the MTV Movie Awards crowd, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. I had an absolute blast with it. I think there is a place in the world for for those movies. You know, not every movie has to be one of the five that I listed before. Not every movie has to be prestige. Not every movie has to be a mega blockbuster or or a, a, an indie darling. There are places in this world for middle-of-the-road, competently made action films that are made on a decent budget. Hell, we've gone through a streak of them. Tomb Raider, Pacific Rim Uprising, and this, to varying degrees of success, all kind of fit into that it's it's the April season. We want to give people something to watch, and I think the biggest mistake is that studios don't understand what they have on their hands. You know, for a movie like Pacific Rim, that movie costs so much money that it's probably not going to make it back in the states, and and that's a pro, That's a bummer. That's a bummer that that's not going to make it back in the states. Now, will it do fine in a, in foreign? Uh, territories. Yeah, it's going to do fine in foreign territories. You know, that movie costs $176 million to make. And so a movie like that, it's got to pull in $500 million in order to, you know, break even, make a profit. Uh, A Wrinkle in Time, same thing. You know, that movie costs $100 million to make. Is it going to make a profit? I don't know. Disney can afford to take a hit. They'll be fine. Uh, Tomb Raider is another good example of a film that is competently made. It's a good enough film. It's a good enough time. And it was made for around 90 to $100 million. And then world, worldwide, that movie's going to make over $300 million. Like, that's fine. That's acceptable. I just think, and one of the last things that I want to do is I want to encourage everybody. Like, films are different. Film genres are different. And I always have a really hard time trying to judge, you know, cross genres with one another. Is A Quiet Place on the level of Get Out? Eh, pretty close, but without the social commentary. Is it on the level of, you know, The Post or Moonlight? I don't know. But why do we have to make those comparisons? You know, why can't we just isolate those films in one genre and isolate, you know, whether it be a prestige horror film or whether it be a big, loud, dumb action film? I just think when you go in and you approach a movie, there's a certain level of setting your expectations, And I feel like you're doing yourself a disservice if you go into a film called Rampage based off of a video game starring three giant monsters tearing apart Chicago and The Rock. If you set your expectations for an Oscar caliber film, you're going to be disappointed. That's not the film's fault. That's your fault. That's like going to a seafood restaurant and being disappointed that you can't get a quesadilla. Set your expectations, know what you're in for, and I think you're going to have a good time. The other thing that setting your expectations helps with is it helps you avoid movies that you don't like. Whether it be a scary movie or a dumb movie or an animated film or a comedy, you know what you like. So you should gravitate towards that do your research read up on the films and i guarantee you you're gonna have a lot better time whether it be with a really smart well-made well-directed well-written monster movie like a quiet place or whether it be with a really fun dumb monster extravaganza like rampage you're gonna have a good time if you set those expectations That's going to wrap it up for this review recap. As always, do us a favor. If you want to read our reviews, if you want to follow back and go back and look at those other review recaps or the free refills episodes, you can go to PopcornDietPodcast.com. Do us a favor. Like share, subscribe. I want to know what kind of movies you're talking about. I want to know if you set expectations properly, how you felt about these movies. So wherever you're at, share this with your family, share this with your friends, and also follow us on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram at The Popcorn Diet. But again, That's going to do it. I am your very best good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. We'll see you later this week with another free refills episode on Marvel. And then next week is Marvel Week, Infinity War. Get hyped, get excited, and we'll see you then. Adios.